Thank you for listening to this programme from the Forever Manchester Radio and Podcast Network. Forever Manchester is a charity that raises money to fund and support community activity across Greater Manchester. Check out forevermanchester.com to find out more. With me now is a gentleman who could perhaps be described as a broadcaster, maybe a sports pundit stroke broadcaster, an author, and I'm sure there are a lot of other strings to his boat as well. Ian Cheeseman, welcome. Good evening. Afternoon, morning. Uh, how are you depends on what time you're listening, doesn't it? <laughs> Listen, it's really good to be able, and thanks for coming in to have a chat with us. Um, before we get into what's been quite an incredible journey for you, I suppose, take us back to your early days. Where are you from? Are you Mancunian? Yep, I'm Mancunian. I was born in St Mary's Hospital, central Manchester, which is, if anybody doesn't know where it is, it's, uh, it's where Sainsbury's is now, opposite Palace Theatre in Manchester. So, dead central. Um, absolutely consider myself to be a Mancunian. My football allegiances are very much Mancunian as well. And in fact, I would argue that the nearest football stadium to where I was born was Main Road. And I'm a City fan, so it all seems to fit together. Now, some people might say I'm not, strictly speaking, a Mancunian because I've never actually lived technically in the city centre uh, in Manchester. I've lived in various places like Whitefield, Little Lever, Radcliffe, Oldham, so round and about in the satellite towns, but I'm a Mancunian as far as I'm concerned. Greater Manchester. And you don't get more Mancunian than being born in St Mary's Hospital, do you? No. <laughs> So where did you right? Where did you live? Where you growing up? The reason I ask because our paths first crossed many, many, many moons ago. Oldham seems to. Did you live in Oldham? Or? I'm not. I'm not an Oldhamer. Never lived in Oldham as a kid. Right. Uh, I moved there because I met my young lady from Oldham, and frankly, because her parents didn't have a car and they were from Oldham, and my dad, uh, still alive at the time, had a car. I thought it would be fairer to live nearer her parents than mine, so we moved to Oldham just for practical reasons. But I grew up in Radcliffe. Went to Radcliffe County Primary School eventually went to Stan Grammar School in Whitefield, though I spent a little short time at Cannon Slade Grammar School in Bolton. Um, we lived in Little Lever at the time when that decision was made, and then my dad, through his job, moved away for a year, which I have to say I, I hated. Right. I, I was a child, I didn't have any choice in it, and we moved to Norwich, of all places, and I felt like a fish out of water. It wasn't me at all. But what, what side did I have in it? Yeah. Thankfully, my mum was homesick and they were in the process of buying a house when the builders went bust and it became apparent that the way out of this situation was to move back to Manchester. So, yee back we came, lived in Whitefield uh, and it was during that time that I met my now wife, who was from Oldham, so I ended up in Oldham. And that builder did you a favour? Yeah. Right, OK. Was there an interest in sport in school? Were you sporty? Did you play football? Did you did you athletics or anything like uh, that? I was no good and I was a soft so uh, football, physical contact sport was never going to really be something I excelled at. Um, I, if I excelled at anything later in my school time, I excelled at badminton and uh, non-contact sports. Actually, I was pretty good at badminton, though I say so myself, and, and I'm a qualified coach, or I was back in the day. Uh, but in terms of football... I always loved to play it. I always loved to watch it. I didn't particularly come from a sporting background. Neither did uh, my dad. Uh, he wasn't particularly sporty, or my mum really. But I had an uncle who was a big red, and I used to love having banter with him. 
I preferred the colour blue. I identified with Colin Bell, who was a modest, shy a hero of mine, and I was a modest, sort of shy type of lad. And I didn't really like the sort of arrogant swagger of reds. George Best was obviously in the scene at the time, and I preferred what I perceived to be the more modest, self-deprecating, humour-led uh, City fans. And that drew me in, and I became a City fan. And since my dad worked in Manchester, so we're talking about Mancunian influences here, mm-hmm. even though I was growing up in Radcliffe, so I'm not too far away from Bury and Bolton, so you might have argued that as a kid I might have been drawn in one of those directions. And my dad certainly told me that he was on the terraces of Burnden Park on the day when the disaster happened uh, because his sister had wanted to go and watch the football match I think Blackpool were the visitors and uh, she wanted to be there for that uh, but he'd only gone for her sake so I had no allegiance to any club but my dad worked in Manchester, he worked on the railways he, lo- he worked initially at Victoria Station and later at Piccadilly Station so I was used to him travelling to Manchester every day I'd come in and see him so Manchester was very much in my, my blood and my heart and I, as I say I might not have a traditional city Mancunian accent like that, you know, <laughs> but I've always felt as if Manchester is my city, is my where I belong, um, and, and so therefore it felt natural to I be. I think you belong here as well, fan. by the way. Yeah, thank you. Tell me about the transition from school into, into to the working world. Did you go straight into... How did you... Right, OK, I'm trying to get you from work experiences into... Broad, was broadcasting or was making radio something that, that was pure hobby or did you set out to go into radio? Well, it certainly was not something I set out to do because I was too shy to even think... Or, and lacking in confidence, actually, to do stuff like that. My mum died when I, was, when I was in transition between A-levels and stuff, so my exams didn't go quite as well as I'd hoped. And when I got into a degree course, which it wasn't really what I wanted to do um, it was it was in Sunderland my dad was heartbroken he was grieving I ended up coming back to Manchester going to Manchester Poly doing a social science degree having started a geography degree so everything was falling apart really and so after a year I dropped out and my dad said work in a bank nice secure job for life you get your weekends off short hours during the day um, and you can go and watch football which I was already into and watching every week so that's what I did um, then when I met my wife, then girlfriend, who was from Oldham, I found out that in Oldham, at the Royal Oldham Hospital, there was a hospital radio station called Radio Cavell. And I, as an only child, had always had a vivid imagination and, and I'd sort of talked to myself, not necessarily walking around jabbering way, but, you know, in my mind anyway, and had a pretend radio station. And radio is such an intimate environment where you, you are on your own. You can You don't have to look somebody in the eye. You can can just have an intimate relationship with people and that suited my shy personality so once I met my wife and started traveling and got married in Oldham I decided I would volunteer not thinking much of it really and where it might lead to and slowly that grew I did a sort of program every Sunday morning which had a variety of different content in it none of which really was sporty to begin with and, and just loved doing it and um, you know that one thing led to another uh, the, the, the club City who I was involved with at the supporters club were looking for a commentator for matches but they didn't want to pay anybody at the time and somebody said well he does hospital radio maybe he'd be interested in it so I went and I listened to what they said they offered me nothing <laughs> they, they offered me goodwill a free admission um, and, and I thought yeah I'd love to do that I'd love to be a football commentator especially City and I'd listened to radio myself when I was a youngster and thought Oh, if there was one thing I could do, it would be that man on the radio commentating on City. That would be my dream job. 
uh, but never for one second thinking that I would do that. So it was just a, a hobby which opened a few doors because I, ne- I was never the type of person who would just turn up and go through the motions. I always had to push myself and extend myself and try things I'd never done, even though everything was a risk and, and could go wrong. So I did all sorts of crazy things like, um, you know, I, I had tarot card reader in the studio, read my tarot cards. Next next week it might be building up to the general election and I'd have, I'd have the three main candidates from the area in and do a political debate. Me, doing a political debate. But I'd do it. You know, next minute I'd, I was running a marathon, carrying a tape recorder around with me and recording what, what it felt like to run a marathon and just did lots of different things like that. And it sounds easy, but the city commentaries meant that I was meeting people, people were hearing me do things, and people were saying, you know, you're quite good, why don't you apply for this? And, and I said, well, no, I've got a job, I work in a bank, it's all job, you know, I'm not, I'm not bothered. And then eventually some bloke from the BBC said to me, there's a job in our sports team coming up, why don't you apply for it? I applied for it. I had none of the university you know, qualifications, I had no BBC experience, all this sort of thing I was lacking. But I had passion and enthusiasm and, and a willing to go that bit further to, to make the best thing that I could. And to my astonishment, they offered me the job. I initially was a bit reticent because it meant that at the time I'd gone 20 years without missing a City game home and away and, and I didn't want to stop doing that. And they weren't offering me a job to watch City. But I thought, some, I spoke to a mate of mine who said, if, uh, if you don't take a risk in your life, if you, don't, if you don't take that step over the edge, you'll never know if you could have done it. So I did it. And after a lot of heartache sometimes, I eventually got the job I'd always dreamed of and was the BBC City commentator. The one that you used to imagine. Exactly. So, you know, if you want it enough and you're determined enough, you're lucky enough, Anybody can fulfil the dreams, and uh, and I did just that. On that part of that journey, I know part of this story. A bit of a plugging in part of it, yeah. You interviewed Barry Manilow. I did. You, you well, interviewed a... Barry, and he was like massive at the time. Oh, huge! Still is really, yeah, huge. I mean, I'm a big, um, and I know it's not cool to say this, but um, I've never hidden it. I'm a huge ABBA fan, and I was very lucky in that in my uh, early twenties, I went to Sweden and met them. And then when I met my wife, I found out that she was a big Barry Manilow fan. And I'm one of those people who, and it's somebody I love or somebody I care about, I try to help them fulfil their dreams as well. So my original motivation was, if I could get an interview with Barry Manilow and meet him, that would that allow me to uh, get my wife to meet him, which would mean that she'd met her hero just like I'd met my heroes. So that was my driving force. So I, I was working for the BBC. I said to them, that, can I approach him? Would you mind? And they said, do what you want. You won't get an interview. So I did it, and uh, because I knew a lot of the subject about the subject, and I wasn't going to, and I made it clear I wasn't going to do a frivolous interview through luck again. Obviously, through something I wrote or some determination, I got at this interview. And when I did interview him, I was told two things by his sidekick, Mark Hewlett, the guy who's who's his lucky PA, and he said to me. First of all, um, he said this is the only interview he's doing on the whole tour with any form of media, which completely staggered me and he said it was because of the nature of the letter you wrote and the sincerity you wrote it with and uh, and then when I did the interview he said the way this will work is you'll get 10 minutes with him in a room on your own and at the end of the 10 minutes the arrangement is that I knock on the door and he's surprised that I've knocked on the door and says uh, oh have I got to go really sorry about this but I'm going to have to go now 
and then he goes. And so it was a, a, an arranged, we're going to let you down lightly. Yes. What actually happened was after 10 minutes, he did come and Barry Manilow waved him away and I did another 10 minutes. So I actually did 20 minutes. And afterwards, Mark Hewlett came back to me and said, that's unprecedented, he never does that. He must have really enjoyed the interview we're doing. Um, and afterwards, he did tell me that, you know, the questions you were asking him were intelligent and were, were stuff that he really approved of. Uh, I don't mean it was a creepy interview, but it was just areas that he was interested in and were mentally challenging to him. So at the end of the interview, he also did loads of autographs for me and he allowed my wife to come in, even though he wasn't in makeup and he was very conscious of what he looked like, um, said, as long as these pictures don't aren't all over the internet or whatever, yes, I'll meet your wife. And so I was able to have the picture with my wife and she could meet him and I fulfilled my ambition. And of course, professionally, it was great to get an interview like that anyway, because it was somewhat exclusive and got syndicated all over BBC local radio. And hey how it turned into sport. So let's talk about that. You, childhood dream, imaginary radio station, wanted to be be a great Manchester City reporter and suddenly you cop for the job. Yeah, lived yeah. the dream. Commentated on all the great moments, you know, City going from lower divisions right back into the upper echelons of the Premier League, semi-finals of the Champions League. So I've done all that, commentated on City, uh, City's first FA Cup win since 69 when they won it in 2011. I've been beaten United in the semi-final, beat Stoke in the final. A very emotional day for a lot of City fans. 2012, they won the league, the Aguero goal, lots of stories around that. Then into the Champions League regularly and 6-1 at Old Trafford and lots of different landmarks along the way. And I was privileged to be behind the microphone and to share those moments with the listeners, with the City fans, and for me to sit alongside my heroes, former City players, and and to do to do that from the best seat in the house. Well, I'm sorry, you can't buy that. That is the best ever experience that I will have in my, my life, apart from my, my family life, but that is the best experience in my life I can ever have. I did it for 15 years, and I don't think those will, will ever be beaten. Um, I miss it now, I don't work for the BBC anymore um, and I miss commentating more than I can possibly tell you but I've sort of tried to reinvent myself, go in a different direction and uh, and during the last season um, I created a new YouTube channel started to do a vlog, which started from nothing but as the season went along grew and grew and grew Manchester City approached me and said can we put your vlogs on our website and we will pay something towards the costs of, of what you're doing and I said well, wow that's great, it gives me good exposure it gets me to even more fans and it's a bit of a sort of pat on the back for what I've been doing uh, I'm on XS Manchester, local radio station here, doing a city show every Tuesday night, and I'm also a regular guest on their Wednesday programme. I have been doing some columns and some podcast guesting for the Manchester Evening News. I'm also a podcast host myself for a, gr- city, a, a group called City Watch, um, and that, that gets a lot of listeners and, and seems to be very popular. And I've even, through people watching what I've done on YouTube companies that have got nothing to do with sport have approached me and said we really like what you do um do you have a team of people and i said no it's absolutely just me and they said well we're looking to increase our presence on social media uh, would you be interested in doing some work with us we presume you'll be uh, a lot cheaper to employ not cheap but cheaper than bringing in a professional video company who might be able to offer all sorts of slick editing but would have a cast of thousands doing it, take a long time to produce the final product and would actually cost us quite a bit. If if you can do something like that, but on your own quicker, then we'd love you to do it for us. 
So I've been working for a bus company, I've been working for a real estate <laughs> company, and I'm hoping to work and talk to more companies to do things like that for them. And who knows what I could do in the future, because two years ago you wouldn't have said I'd be a YouTube vlogger or a podcast host because I was a BBC uh, person. And now, of course, I'm very much associated with City, which I'm very proud of. But there's so much more to me than uh, than, than just the things that I'm known for, you know. And, and I'd love to present radio programmes that got nothing to do with sport. I'd love to, you know, host events. Uh, you know, that's something I've done a lot of, but not necessarily is at the forefront of what I do at the moment. So there's a whole basket of things I could get involved with. And, and obviously, this city, Manchester, I mean, one of the, the best things I've ever done in my life. You won't believe this, but I actually, in the year 2000, there was an event at the Manchester Evening News Arena, as it was then. And it was called 2000 in 2000. And it was um, a mass male voice choir event. So there were, I don't know, 10,000 people in the arena. And on stage were 2,000 singers, all from different male voice choirs. And the Manchester Camerata and the orchestra were on stage. And I was asked to host that, which I did in a dicky bowl. Now, you couldn't get much more out of your comfort zone if you're a football commentator than hosting... Um, a male voice choir event at the MEN Arena but I did it and everybody was happy with what I did and I got a massive kick out of it That nicely brings us to the end of part one of Forever Manchester Meets Ian Cheeseman Please join us for part two where we'll be chatting more about Ian's experiences Manchester City, books and Colin Bell If you enjoyed this episode of Forever Manchester Meets please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and like and subscribe us with a nice five star review. If you want to find out more about Forever Manchester and the work that we do in Greater Manchester please check us out at forevermanchester.com or follow us on the usual social media platforms Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are at Forever Manchester. Nice one. Let me tell you a bit about the people of Manchester. We're about not being kept down. We're about celebrating everything this wonderful city has given and has to give. We're about being laid back, but in your face. We're about looking after our own and not leaving anyone behind. Once Manchester, forever Manchester. And now's your chance to show it. A charity run by the people of Manchester for the people of Manchester. Help ordinary people do extraordinary things. See forevermanchester.com.